0: Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is February 7th, 2024. We continue our Kingdom Legacy series with Song of Solomon, Chapter 5. And if I had to title this is a message. I would title it Responding to the Call. Now, of course, this isn't a typical message. We are going through sort of verse by verse as best as possible that can be done in 20 to 30 minutes, although these podcasts have all ran well over 30 minutes. I believe one was 40 minutes. So it's, it's just very difficult to do. Because obviously, there are things that get skipped over. We don't go over every word. Uh, although I try to get some Hebrew and, and cultural context in there, I can't do that on every single word, on every single verse. Um, it's just not possible in the time of a podcast. But we are trying to do our best to accommodate that with the time that is allotted. And so with that, let's go ahead and jump in and read Song of Solomon. Chapter 5 I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I've gathered my myrrh and my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I've drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends. Drink, yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke, and I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am lovesick. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So let's just jump into this. Chapter 5. Picks up after chapter 4. Obviously, in chapter 4, we had the groom telling the bride her identity, who she was, her value. And it ended with just one verse where the bride speaks up and is saying, make it so. I mean, just whatever you want, Lord. That was sort of the uh, the idea. She welcomed his presence into her life. She wanted it. She was responding to him. And so from that, we come to chapter five. And because with the groom saying, I've come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. Again, a little bit of a review from last week. The my sister is always mentioned first before spouse, because when we become born again, we become brothers and sisters of the Lord. We're co-heirs with Christ. There's this Part of the inheritance that Jesus shares of Himself, we will never be God, but He's sharing a portion of that throne with us. We can't control the universe, but yet it's 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 like He's putting us in His lap to drive a vehicle. He's He's wanting us to have this type of oneness relationship with Him, and then of course, at the marriage supper of the bride, of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, the church is married. The bride is married. There's this consummation that happens when we become the spouse. And so we see the sister spouse that he, that he, he cries out to us. He goes, I've gathered my myrrh and my spice. And again, I don't want to go over what we've already been over in previous chapters about the myrrh. It's an anointing oil. Uh, there's, it represents suffering. To us, yes, is an anointing, but it also represents an anointing that happens with suffering. You know, the spices that represents our praise and our worship. Uh, we talked about the, the, the honey, the milk and the honey represents abundance, but for us, because again, this is something that's sort of a little bit reversed here, because this is the Lord talking about our. Abundance. So this represents the good things that are in our life, because every good thing that we have has come from Him. It's come from His abundance. So when the Lord is eating the honey from our life, that's what He's eating of the good things in our life. Of course, came from Him. And then to drink wine mingled with milk. Uh, That speaks of the wine speaks of the Holy Spirit. The milk speaks of the Word of God. And so we see here that there is a mixing of the Spirit and the Word. And the Lord is rejoicing in this. Um, this is what is supposed to be in the garden or in the spirit, the heart of man. There's an anointing that comes from suffering. Uh, we, the New Testament talks about, especially Paul talked about, um, partaking in the suffering of Christ. There's, an element of suffering that Christians must do here in the world. And the reason we have to is because the world is not heaven. The world is a fallen place. And to be a Christian in the world is to suffer. Because it's not. we're not living in perfection. We're not living in in the heaven that God has created for us. And therefore, if we're not in heaven, then we must be suffering. And of course, there's different levels of that, but there's that. And again, that the praise and worship, the good things in our lives... And it, and then it goes down in the bottom of verse 1. It says, Eat, O friends, drink. Yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. And this is what the groom, it, you might have a Bible where it's got like a, up above it. It's not in the original scriptures. It's like little titles and little subheadings that, that we sometimes add in. And this one says, To his friends. And so this is to let us know that at this point, <clears throat> the groom is turned and is speaking to those people that he calls friends. And he goes, friends, eat, drink deeply, O oh, beloved ones. He's inviting you to commune with him. He wants to eat and drink with us spiritually in our garden, in our hearts. This is this is what we call communion. And communion is not about crackers and a little wine or grape juice. The churches do that, but it's supposed to represent we're having this intimate fellowship where we're eating and drinking with the Lord and not not physical food but a spiritual food where we're we're feasting on what God has for us and he's rejoicing and having deep intimacy and fellowship with us so there's this invitation to this the groom is calling out for invitation to this then in verse 2 the 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 Shulamite or the bride begins to speak she goes i sleep but my heart is awake it is the voice it is the voice of my beloved he knocks and open to me my sister my love so here we see i sleep but I, my heart's awake you know even when we're asleep our spirit is always awake that's why there's a lot of things about god can speak to you in the night or in the sleep because your body may be physically asleep, but not your spirit. And He can still speak to you. And so here, the bride is asleep, but her spirit is awake. And the spirit hears the voice of the beloved or the voice of the Lord. This reminds me, there's so much of this that, that goes into that parable of the ten virgins in the New Testament. Um, you just cannot get away from how these two fit so n- tight together. When you see things. Those those virgins, they went up on the mountaintop and they fell asleep. We've already looked at in in the Song of Solomon references to the bride, the, the, the church going up on a mountaintop to wait on the beloved, and then what happens? You fall asleep. There's a lot of times we have mountaintop experiences where man the Lord does something really great and, and it's really awesome. Or we go up but we we fall asleep. Even the disciples, when Jesus took them into the garden at Gethsemane, before the crucifixion, and he tells them it's important, we need to pray. He, he begs them to pray. What happens? They fall asleep. And he wakes them, and they fall asleep. There's something about important times when our flesh seems to get the best of us when we fall asleep, but our spirit is still awake. And the spirit hears. The spirit hears the call of the Lord. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love. My dub, my perfect one. My head is covered with dew, my locks with the dews of the night. Now what exactly does he mean by his head being covered with dew? You know, what does that symbolize? Well, that's hard to answer in just one little phrase. Let me let me give you some examples here. Uh, in Hosea chapter fourteen, uh, dew represents spiritual growth. In Genesis chapter twenty-seven, dew represents abundance. In Judges chapter six, it's divine guidance. You know that was Gideon with, with the dew. Uh, in Psalm one ten, dew's restored youth. In Psalm one thirty-three, it's both blessing and eternal life. In Proverbs nineteen, dew can mean divine favor. In Zechariah chapter eight, dew can represent supernatural provision. So you see, there's a lot of things that this do, this this outpouring of the Spirit that is 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 upon the Lord to give to us growth, abundance, guidance, restoration, blessing, eternal life, favor, provision. Uh, this is what is upon the beloved as He's knocking on your door. I know there's a uh, there, that scripture in in Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens. I shall come in and eat with him and him with me. And we just said what? He's inviting us to communion. Here, he's knocking. He's knocking at the door. I don't know if that comes through the mic. I'm knocking on my my desk here. But he's knocking. He's knocking. And he wants us to to open. He's wanting us to to open up. Verse 3. The bride responds, I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? Now, I've read in some places and I've seen some commentaries that talk about uh, the robe is symbolic of our old self. We've taken off our old self. Uh, The idea of our our feet being washed is like the Lord washed our feet. We're clean. We're sanctified. How can we go backwards? But I don't think this is what this is talking about. This reminds me of the parable where Jesus says, if your friend has visitors, they come over and he needs bread and he goes and he knocks on his friend's door. And the friend goes, I'm already in bed with me and my children. Go away. And he says, "What? Well, if, but if you just keep knocking, if you just keep knocking, they'll eventually get up. A little persistence thing here. I think about this. Because here, what we have is we have the, the bride, us, the church, we have a tendency when we get a little sleepy that we make excuses on why we don't want to get up when the Spirit comes knocking. When the Holy Spirit is knocking on our heart, we may be, we may be asleep in our flesh or in our, our soul, in our mind, but the Spirit of God is inside us our spirit hears him we hear the voice but then we make excuses on why we don't want to just jump up and answer this is not it's not convenient for me can we do this in the morning we have a way to want to put off the lord verse 4 says my beloved put his hand by the latch of the door and my heart yearned for him I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped to myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. Now this one, we need a little cultural insight. You see, in the Middle East, the houses, they have these openings in this, at this time. There were these openings that were above the lock of the door for the insertion of the key. The hole was large enough for a person to put their hand through and to look or speak through the hole. So in other words, the lock was not on the outside of the door. The lock was on the inside of the door. So you would put your hand through the hole to unlock the door on the inside. I know that sounds crazy. Um, and you could also look through to see who was on the outside and you could also speak to them on the outside. And, and so the, the, the groom has stuck his hand through this hole for the lock. And the bride can see the hand. My beloved put his hand by the latch on the door and my heart yearned for him. So she arrives. When she sees the hand, she, something jars her. She gets up where she was saying, I don't want to get up. i already taken off my robe. I'm in bed. But she sees the hand and recognizes the beloved. Now the spirit recognized the voice. But our flesh sometimes doesn't want to respond. But when she sees the hand, and what does the hand represent? The hand represents the moving of God. When we see, oh, wait a minute, that's the moving of God. I see God moving in, in this situation. Then we respond. Now, let me talk about this cultural thing again. Because there's, again, some more cultural things. Because what is this myrrh and this stuff dripping on our hands? Well, Back in those days, when someone, when a, when a man would go calling upon a woman, or a woman was gonna quote, let a man know she's interested, and you go visit, you especially the man, when he knocked and the woman wasn't there, she didn't open the door, he would put some oil upon the lock. Some, some fragrant oil. So that when she came and she saw, she, she could smell the oil, it would let her know this is who was seeking her, that this was something special. And of course, we've already looked at that, that, that oil is that, is that character. So the hand of God has moved in the situation and it's left its character on the situation. And the bride has run over there and it's so thick. The anointing is so thick. It even gets on her. It gets on her hands. And, and so now th- this is the anointing, that sweet smelling f- fragrance, but it's a myrrh, which is a suffering. You have to keep that in mind because she opens for my beloved, but my beloved has turned away and he was gone. She says, My heart leaped when he spoke and I sought him, but could not find him. See, this is, this is the dark, Part of this passage. The, The bride of the church made an excuse when the voice of the Lord spoke to them. And rather than getting up immediately and doing it, they waited. And then they could see the hand of the Lord upon the situation that they should have already been up for. And by the time you respond, it's too late. You've missed your opportunity. I know that's a long silent pause for a podcast, but we should, we should all meditate on this. I cannot tell you as a person who is training others to go into ministry that I myself and so many, it it happens so often that I almost say it's a hundred percent that when God calls you to the ministry and you want to do it, you will immediately, you will immediately be tempted by the enemy not to respond to this situation. And if you wait, you sometimes miss your chance. Now, God has a way of bringing you back around to that same decision. But coming back around, this time in your life. Now, sometimes that, that turnaround may be a couple of days, maybe a week, maybe a month. But it could be a year. It could be five years. It could be 10 years. It could be 20 years. I often tell young people at 18, 19, 20, it's very easy to respond to the call of God. I know you think you have a lot of responsibilities, but you're actually very free. And the decision may seem hard, and it may take a lot of faith to step out. But if you wait, if you wait that year or that two years, you you, you may end up going to school, you may end up acquiring debt. Now the decision comes around, things are a little bit more difficult. Maybe you get married. So now it's not just you, you've got your spouse to consider. Maybe you end up with having kids. So now you've got to wait a little longer. Maybe you want to wait for them to get out of school. So suddenly what was one year and a few years has turned into five years, has turned into 12 years. Suddenly they're getting out of School and they're all off to college or in other parts of your life. You've waited 20, 25 years to answer a call that God gave you at 18. See, time doesn't mean anything to God, but it means everything to you and I. God has eternity to wait. You and I have a set number of days. And God is merciful to bring us back around. But there's only so many times we can go back around before our life ends. It's important that we jump up and respond to the Lord when we have those opportunities. I've got many students that have graduates now that I would love to have come and share on this topic, maybe in another podcast. But what happens when the bride He's not there, so what does the bride do? The bride goes out to seek him. I called him. He gave me no answer. You know, there's another spot that it reminds me of this. This is when Israel was in the wilderness with Moses and they got up to the promised land and they sent the 12 spies in and 10 spies had negative reports. Joshua and Caleb were the only good ones. And the people didn't believe and respond in the moment. And so God told them to go back into the wilderness. And so at that moment, when God told them, nope, you didn't respond to me, you're not going to go in. At that moment, the people saw the hand of God on the situation and some of them believed after they had doubted they believed and they wanted to turn around and try to go into the promised land and if you read what happened to them is that they were turned back in other words when they attempted to go into the promised land without all of his or something they were rebuffed by the people there they they couldn't do it they missed their window and they had to journey in the wilderness for 40 more years see when the lord comes knocking we need to respond and open but when you don't what happens well you search for him he's not answering because now you must go through something you must go through something now at this point and so the bride um he says the watchman who went about the city found me they struck me they wounded me now, suddenly the bride finds herself back in the city. This is back from earlier chapters. That city is the world. Human philosophy. You see, when we miss the call, we instantly try to do things ourselves. That's just going back into the city. We're going to do this ourselves. We can fix this ourselves. We have everything we need. We can do this ourselves. We can still find God. We can still do this for the Lord. And she goes back into that that city of human worldliness, philosophy, thinking, and the watchmen. Remember, the watchmen were supposed to be on the walls watching. Instead, these aren't faithful watchmen. These are the religious leaders that are doing their own thing. And they found the bride, and they struck and wound her. It says they took off the veil. See, they they tried to reduce her to judgment as a prostitute or a harlot. Often when you miss the call of God, and then you try to do things yourself, religious leaders will hurt you, and you'll end up being the one called a heretic. They beat you up because you missed God's call and now that's that quote unquote egg in your face. It's an American expression if you're in another country. You you look like a fool and now they've taken the time to wound you because you missed the Lord and they're gonna and they're gonna you see, you didn't you never had him anyway. You you think that we're bad. You're and they and you get wounded by those religious people. Verse 8, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved that you tell him I'm lovesick. This is the, the church saying to those daughters of Jerusalem. Remember, these are the believers. We, we saw this in chapter 1 and we've seen it all throughout. These are the believers that are not passionate. These are, these are the believers that are living in the city with the watchman. They're not really passionate. They're just going through the motions. And, and, she, and she cries out to them, I'm lovesick. Tell the Lord. And then verse 9, these daughters respond, What is your beloved more than another beloved? O fairest among women, What is your beloved more than another beloved? That you so charge us. This is when you get that really sarcastic, What makes your calling better than ours? What makes your relationship with God better than my relationship with God? It's a very judgmental, what makes you think you're better than me? And it's not that you're better than them. You you love the Lord. You have a calling. You have a desire. You have a passion. You have a zeal to do what God wants you to do. See, they don't have passion. They don't have that. They're just living. They're happy being religious. They don't understand the intimacy of walking with Jesus. They know about him, but they're just, they're happy just to be religious. And so they become very judgmental upon you, very jealous of you. But they turn that jealousy and that judgmental and they call you judgmental. What makes you think you're so much better? So in verse 10, the bride answers this question. My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. Again, this is not about a racial thing. He's white. Some translations will actually translate this radiant. It's not white like a white person. This is white like radiant beams of light. White. And ruddy is a word for red. red. My beloved is both radiant and red. See, Jesus is both divine and human. And he paid for our sin with his blood. Chief among 10,000. This is sort of kind of, it's not to be taken like a literal, he's got 10,000 angels or something. This is more of a, he's a very important person. He's a person of authority. He, he, he represents his rule he's got authority. His head is like the finest gold his locks are wavy and black is a raven. His head his authority fine gold this is his deity it's like the, the radiant white is deity. The ruddy represented his humanity, the blood. here his hair and I know we've talked about hair earlier I'm not going to go back into that, but it's black like a raven. Raven's bird. Birds are usually bad in Scripture. Not all birds, but most birds symbolically are bad. They represent demons or demonic powers. Black here represents sin. Ravens steal things. So the i the idea here is that deity has taken sin upon himself because his sin is upon the head. Black like a raven has been taken. Yes, it's his, it's his humanity. It. it It's here the ideas the white, the ruddy chief. God is man, and divinity is taking the blackness of our sin. 12. His eyes are like dove eyes by rivers of water washed with milk and fitly set. We've talked about those dove eyes. He doesn't look to the right or left, his eyes are straight forward upon you and I. By the rivers of water washed with milk and honey. Again We we got that well excuse me, not honey. I'm just I'm I'm going here. It been washed with milk, washed with the word by the rivers of waters, by the, the the rivers, the moving of the spirit. So his eyes are with the moving of the spirit. With with the word that, that's there. And they've been set. They've been set in place. His cheeks now we talked about this earlier. The cheeks, they express, they're, they're an expression of your emotions. You can see your emotions. So we can see the emotions of God, they're like a bed of spices. And all those spices, we again, all the character fragrances of God are visible upon him. Banks of senator, of course, the banks of the are by the river. So by the moving of the spirit, there's all the sense, all the smells of the character of God. His lips, what he speaks, are lilies, dripping with myrrh, the anointing of what he suffered by taking upon our sin. Fourteen, his hands are rods of gold set with barrel. The hands of God, how he, this is how he moves. This is how he does things, and of course, then being rods of gold, divinity set with barrel Uh, barrels of precious stone. It was in the breastplate, symbolizes durability, preciousness, great value. So, what God does, the works of God, are both divine and of great value and durable. His body is carved ivory with inlaid sapphires. Now, I know the church is his body, but here this this is talking about the Lord Himself. Ivory, yes, it symbolizes wealth, but it also symbolizes death. Because the only way to get ivory was you had to go kill the elephant. And remember, Jews, there's a lot of things about you can't touch something that was on a dead animal. And so, yes, ivory represented wealth and value, but it also represented death. And so the body of Christ both represents death, but value. And it's inlaid with sapphires. Again, precious stones of great value. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. You know, legs, um, they're they're like a, they're what you you put things on. They they're they're the they're the stand. The body of Christ. We 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 were held up by God, by, by the legs of God. They're marble, you know. Marble is very strong, very durable, um, but also very valuable. And again, you have this—you have this thing of the the gold set with pillars, divinity. You no, know, he is supporting us, and then we get to his countenance. It's like Lebanon and its cedars. Again, there's this, this brightness. It's like Lebanon. You know, he, he's looking at the unsaved world that he's created. Cedar's that durable, durable wood. Again, that fragrance that comes with that character, the character of God. And he says, His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he's altogether lovely. This is where we go, man, he's worth everything. He is so majestic. He is worth everything. And then it ends with the bride saying, not only he's altogether lovely, this is my friend. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem. Very powerful ending here. Jesus said that we're no longer servants, we're friends. I know when I do marriage counseling. You don't want to just marry anybody just because you think love is a feeling and you've got lots of strong feelings or lust for the person. You want to marry a friend. Preferably, you need to be marrying your best friend so that when you're together 20 and 30 years, you get to experience life with a friend. The bride understands that the groom is a friend. See, that's what this separation. I know you can go, well, how can how can the the groom leave the bride in such a state? But the bride would not come to the realization that the love is not just a, an empty love. The love is also a friendship. That's why you have this my sister, my spouse. Yes, the Lord wants a bride. Yes, the Lord wants intimacy and love. But the Lord also wants friendship, companionship, fellowship with you and I. And he's wanting us to understand that and to yearn for that. There's something about that that once you realize that, that when your friend knocks, you get up and open the door. Maybe you've missed it with the Lord you know, he's, he's merciful, and he if you seek him, he will be found. We're going to look at that in chapter 6 next week. Let's just begin to pray. Father, I just thank you for today, God, for this word of the, in the Song of Solomon. Father, I just want to pray for everyone out there, God. I believe we've all heard your voice, God, as believers, and at some point we've missed you, God. We've missed callings. We've missed opportunities, Lord. Father, I just lean on your mercy, God. We say, Lord, don't pass us by. Lord, I just ask, God, that you would open up ways and avenues, God, for restoration, God, and second chances, because you are the God of second chances, God. You never run out of opportunities for us, God. Lord, draw us to you to understand your calling, your your offering, your friendship to us. And, Lord, help us to grow, God grow in our spirit, grow in strength and understand and deepen, God, our relationship and walk with you. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness and your calling in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast. You can check out other teachings at our website at www.christianimpact.net. And until next time, God bless.